Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Build Shop Podcast. I am one half of the hosting crew, Ryan Brath, and I'd like to welcome my co-host today, Mike. How's it going? RB, I'm great. Yourself? I'm doing good. I spent a little bit of time in traffic today, but you know what? Uh, if anyone has ever spent time in Toronto traffic, it generally sucks. But, yeah. you know, I, I enjoyed some some different podcasts, listened to some comedy stuff, listened to some some deep dive kind of fun things. And now we're here to supply the people who are spending time in their cars or wherever they are with, with more content. And that's why we're here today. So let's, uh, let's get right to it. I got to ask, do you have a busy weekend watching golf? You know what, RB? I watched zero golf coverage, which is odd. Um, I watched a little bit of the ladies. Um, but other than that, it's been, uh, it's been a couple busy weeks family wise and, uh, you know, trying to sneak in a few rounds of golf. I officially lost my, uh, club C's. So, um, I'm out of club championships now, but other than that, no, it's been, uh, it's been a busy couple weeks. Was that, is that a match play event? Just out of curiosity. It was a match play event. Yeah. Oh, see now do they do now I'm curious now do they do stroke I want I got to do a little deep dive here do you do the stroke competition how does that work yeah so to qualify a stroke and then it's top 30 guys uh get in and then you have um you know one seed plays you know 30th seed and it kind of breaks down that way um so first round was good it was fine and then took a couple of weeks to play the second match but didn't uh didn't play very well so Congrats to the gentleman that won it, but uh, it's all right. It's all good. The goal was to qualify. I do yeah. not play tournament golf. The goal is to qualify. Didn't think I was going to qualify. Played really well tournament golf for the first time in a long time. And uh, yeah, was excited to go. That's one thing. Yeah, I was chatting with a couple guys and I was like, ah, I'm going to lose the first match. Ah, I'm going to lose the second match. But to be honest with you, ultimately it was to qualify. So next year we'll just uh, we'll move one match closer to, to winning. Maybe, maybe you just have to approach it like a complete nihilist, Mike. Nothing matters, right? And, and yeah. I think maybe maybe that's your mentality. Nothing matters. To be, to be honest with you, that's how I did it. I was like, oh, this, like, in my mind, it's not that I say that this doesn't matter. Well, maybe I did, but I was always saying, like, I am not the person that should be winning these events. I don't really play competitive golf at all or even a lot of club matches. This is my first year playing more club matches. So it was a learning experience. It was fun. Um, and I just need to learn not to hit it over greens. That's normally not my problem. My problem is actually just getting to the greens in the first place. It's normally not my problem either, but apparently it was Thursday. I, I find one of the funniest things is like when it comes to not, I mean, I had this this week as well. And I think, I think a lot of people experience this and I, again, I don't take, I don't take part in a lot of competitive golf. But I know that there are times when I've been invited to play certain golf courses or been invited to events or things like that. And these are just media events. These are not competitive rounds of golf. These are just for fun. And I'll get there. And I'll feel loose. And I'm having fun. I'm on the range. I'm warming up. I'm hitting it fine. I get to the golf course and it's like a complete turd. Yeah. <laughs> and like I, I, it happened uh, I, It happened earlier this summer. I got invited to a course with a friend of mine. Uh, of course, I played a number of times before. And first tee felt great, piped a shot, like right down the gut on this par five, felt awesome. Right? Okay, stick to the game plan. You know, let's just keep hitting the shot you've been hitting in the last couple of weeks. You know, stick to a shot shape kind of thing. Got up, made an easy par. Second hole, gonzo. Just off the planet drive. Next hole, off the planet. Next hole, off. I'm like, this is not working. And it, it's like, 
it, it is one of those things where like, it almost feels like things start moving very quickly, right? All the time. And it's hard to get it back. It's so difficult to get it back. When, uh, when I first got in the industry, my biggest thing was I had to play well. And I wasn't a very good golfer when I got in the industry. Like not that great right now, but I definitely play better than I used to play. Um, and the one thing I stopped doing was physically writing a score down after every hole. I have a ridiculously good memory. Um, you could ask me a course I played in 2012 and I'll tell you exactly where I put every single ball. Don't ask me how I can do that. Um, but I stopped keeping score. Even when I play on a Sunday, I, I don't keep score until I'm, I'm done and I'm truthful and faithful to my game. If I made a double, I'll put two doubles down. I, I don't care. But once I stopped keeping physical score after every hole, I felt like I played a lot better. It was almost like less, like I'm like you, when you play with someone or if it's an important event or, you know, a media day or whatever that you want to, you want to play well, cause you're with industry guys and it, you know, you hit a couple that are not great. We, we all do it. But as soon as I stopped keeping score, I found it just made life a lot more easier for me. So. Yeah. And I, I, I found as well, like, again, I had a chance to play uh, later last week and mm. it was one of those things where I was playing with someone I never played with before. I knew he was a good player. And first couple holes were like, you know, a little shaky. And then I just kind of got into it. And at that point, because I knew it didn't really matter in the first place anyways, yeah, yeah. everything just kind of switched. Right. And it does come down to this like weird mentality of like the idea. And it sounds again, this is like, there's, we are not sports psychologists. I am not a sports psychologist, yeah. but it is this thing where it's like, I almost kind of joke. It's like the, you can, there are times when if I feel like I'm playing, I'm just, even I'm just playing by myself. Like I'll step up to a shot and it might seem like a difficult shot. Let's say it's a shot around 200 yards. It's like just a green, right? I walk up there with just all the energy and rock. I'm like, look at me just like strutting up there, like a big cat, just walking up and I'll hit a shot and I'll like hit the high draw. Kind of like I was thinking if I might not hit the green, but like, I feel like I executed the shot properly yeah. and I'm out there with other people. And all of a sudden the energy is like, Oh God, just don't screw up. And it's like, I don't know. I have such a hard time turning that on and off when it comes to like being in a round of golf. And it is like this thing I'm trying to get better. I feel like I've gotten a little bit better at it this year, whereas, I mean, it's still not good, but it happens slowly. And it's just yeah. that process. I'm a, I mean, I'm a 35 freaking year old man, Mike. I shouldn't have any problem with like dealing with my ego on the golf course, but for some <laughs> reason it's still a problem. And I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. That's funny. But, and it, it, you know what the thing is too, like we saw this, and this kind of leads into our first topic. And this was, I mean, I had no intention of talking about my golf game or like the ego problems that I have on the golf course, but this does lead into uh, the first event of the week. One of the first ones that actually finished this week as well. And that is the AIG women's British open, which was won by Anna Norquist. There was a ton of like, there was a ton of people towards the top. You had another quarter kind of making a run on Sunday, although she had a really bad kind of middle two rounds there. Um, and then you also had uh, Madsen who came down to the final hole. So her and Anna were tied and she like big fan of, I think it was like a five iron or something into one of the bunkers hit a, a shank essentially out of the bunker on the approach shot, which was not good. It was not an easy bunker shot to like a tighter ish pin made double and, and kind of fell down the leaderboard. But Anna Nork was put on a, on a ball striking freaking clinic. And yeah. I think I feel, feel like in the podcast, when we say the word shank, we need like, our digital mixer to like put on a different sound. We say shank. It's like a something. Bow, 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 bow. 
Yeah. Get, air, get an air horn on there to blanket out or something. It's a, uh, it's a scary word to say, but um, Carnoustie looked unbelievable. It looked in ridiculous condition and I've had the chance to play it, but um, yeah, Nordquist went, went solid on, uh, on Sunday. It was, uh, it was impressive. I think that shank, I saw it, it would have cost her, what is that? $200,000 or something like that. It was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot to go from, I guess, That's, basically uh, tied for fifth or tied for first. Sorry to like, I think fifth was the final result just from a couple shots there. It's an expensive so, hosel. It is. It, I mean, but I know she, I think she plays mostly on the ladies European tour. So that's, I mean, that's a, I mean, it's a huge payday for anybody. Let's be real honest, yeah, but it, yeah. I mean, it's obviously very disappointing. Um, I think one of the things that I, I, I tuned in and one of the first shots that I saw was uh, Shibuna hit one into the bunker on the first hole. And then she hit this kind of like short iron, short of the green, hit a little cut and just rolled. And like the person she was playing against was right in the middle of the fairway or pl- sorry, playing in her group. I shouldn't say playing against, but one in the middle of the fairway, put it to like, 15, 20 feet. Like it was a good shot. Shibuna hit this one out of the bunker kind of a little, I think it was a little downwind cut hit the hit in front of the hit it like a mound in front of the green, like rolled to like 12 feet and she made a birdie. And the person who hit it from the middle of the fairway just made a par. And I thought, God, if you, how could you not find this golf freaking like amazing? I love watching nice. links golf because the big thing is, and this is again, this is not like an original take, but it's the, as soon as the ball, once the ball lands, it's when it's interesting. Yeah, because it can roll, which is a very vast contrast to which we'll get to in a little bit, which was at Liberty National this week, where the rain just made it, you know, it hits and stops. It's just it's just dartboard golf, which uh, I mean, isn't always necessarily the most exciting. But do you find like at your own golf course or places that you played in the past when it's really fast, do you find you have more fun or is it like more interesting when you play? Like it gives you different opportunities to hit shots. Like what is it about that that you think is more more fun to play? I mean, my club's meant to be that Heathland style. So a little burnt out and brown in the fairways is how it's supposed to be played. I would say it's harder in in that way because you have, you know, the ball's just going to run out into areas that you might not normally hit it into. So um, I think the baked out type of golf definitely definitely adds a bit more challenge for watching golf. I enjoy the, you know, the dartboard, you know, throw it close to it, stop. I mean, it's stuff that we don't get to do every day. So it's uh, it's a lot more fun to watch the the pros do it, but um, yeah, I'm not against either way. I, I think one of my favorite events that I saw this year was actually the um, whatever, I don't know. I'm going to guess work. I think it was the work day or something like that. I worked a sponsor like 17 events on tour. So I can't remember if that's what it was or not, but it was the, the event of concession that more, I think believe more cow ended up winning. And that was, it's like big mounding around the greens. And on Sunday, I think it was Sunday. They had some, they had some nasty, nasty pins out there. And it actually forced the players to like really make it. I mean, there's, I think I can't remember what hole it was. I'm not even going to try and guess the number like hole was, but it was on the back nine. It was a par five and players that went for it basically made like almost average over par almost towards a bogey. The players that laid up and actually hit a a wedge in from the proper angle were because of the way the green was slanted and all these other slopes. Cause if you, if you short-sided yourself or went long, you were basically chipping uphill to a very tight pin with the bunker over top. I think Tony Fina made a double in the final round there. And it was just like, to me, that's interesting. 
target golf to me is like super boring because it's like yeah. if you especially if it's long rough if they hit the same shot over and over again if you, if you miss the green you're just you're just hacking out right and that's the thing like i don't find that interesting whereas um and norquist actually was a good example at the aig was she hit putter around the green a lot you know she admittedly so like her chipping and her short game isn't like super super strong but she was hitting a lot of putts around and it kind of reminded me of when pinehurst when um what's the name Keimer one yeah yeah right where like you have the option or do you remember i me see i'm i might even sound old at this point now again even though i've already admitted my age already once on the show today but like tim clark was a good example like tim clark didn't chip the ball yeah yeah he had that long putter clark I know, I you know, I can't. You know, I, I'm going to look it up in a minute. But what do you think his career earnings were on the PGA Tour? Because we're going to um, we'll look this up in a little bit. But I'm going to guess it's probably close to twenty million dollars. Yeah, I was going to say twenty five or twenty two, something like that. So we'll we'll get to that later in the show. But it's one of those things where, like, you know, if you kind of stick to a game plan, you have the opportunity to to score well. And she did. I mean, she put on a ball striking clinic, so you don't have to get up and down that often, anyways. Yeah. But again, to your point, I thought the course looked amazing. And it was interesting seeing those different shots being played into those greens, like seeing balls run up and, and which was very different to, to what we saw at Liberty national, although it, it did, it did go a day longer because of, um, you know, a freaking hurricane. Yeah. But I, nonetheless, uh, hopefully that rain doesn't affect us up here this weekend. It's supposed to, but hopefully it blows past. I'm see, I guess Toronto's on a lake and I'm on a different lake. And I say like the the climate, we get like these little weird microclimates where like it'll be storming everywhere. I'll see lightning storms, but I are like just thunderstorms with like tons of lightning and we won't really get that much rain. Yeah. Whereas like a little North of us or, or over the lake, you'd see these massive thunderstorms rolling and they never kind of actually get to us. I'm not saying we don't get rain. Trust me, we get plenty of rain this year, but it, it's kind of like this weird, interesting thing. And, you know, the problem is, or the issue is, I think with a lot of golf courses where I am, I'm not sure what it's like, again, your course or other courses in Toronto, don't have a huge amount of experience with it, but is the way they drain. Like there's a lot of clay and like thick soil. Do you guys drain well? Like, how is it for you? Like, I know there's, a, there's quite a lot of slope on your golf course, right? Yeah. At, at Toronto, we drain really well and, and pretty quick. Um, our bunkers, you know, drain really nicely too, um, which is nice. There are, there are clubs in the area, you know, St. George's and stuff, that stuff sits in a valley and and they can potentially get some pretty crazy flooding if those, if those rivers get pretty high. But, um, you know, my club, I find our club has almost got like a sandy base to it. It's, it's pretty weird. Um, so it, it dries up, it dries up pretty fast. Yeah. I actually remember, um, now that again, this dates a lot of things, but when the Canadian was last time at St. George's, there was a ton of rain. Carl Peterson at one, I, I think at some point, Swedish guy shot the course record, which yeah. was like 60 or 61. It was just like insane because it was became a dartboard out there. <laughs> it's not an overly long golf course. And it was uh, it was one of those things where, again, I think it was the first hole or the first hole that's part of like the, the tournament course. We kind of hit down and hit up to the, the green. I don't know if that is actually the first hole when you play it like as a member, but it, there was just this river of water that ran down yeah, and yeah. fun fact that week. So again, you can date this however you want. Adam Hadwin was the low Canadian as an, I believe as an amateur still, or no, just he was a pro. He was a young Yeah, pro. He was a pro. I think he was uh full, like he was leader of web.com money that year. 
and he was number one web.com back then. Um, and that might've been like his first, I can't remember, but I, yeah, I remember him. Uh, I remember him playing in that. I remember thinking that like, I'm like, I've never heard of this guy before. He, I mean, he seemed like he played really well. He's got a good, good game going on. Um, the one thing I do remember, which is like, I, there's a Canadian, I think it was a Canadian company. It's like Seaforth or something that does like the rain covers for golf bags and a lot of that stuff. He had this big, massive, like odd looking staff bag. It was always very funny. And uh, I, you know, it's, it's like, I always find like the, when you go to a tournament, it's not like the big finish. That's always like the exciting thing. It's always like something ridiculous that you witness or like just kind of like sears itself into, into my mind. And that's one of them. And that's also where, you know, we talked about last week where I saw a hole in one and I don't remember who it was, but it definitely just went plunk, plunk, plunk into the hole. Yeah. And I thought that yeah. was always really cool. But so we talked about the women's British show. We talked about fast and firm. We talked about rain. We talked about a lot of different things. Um, before we get on to the next subject, I have had a moment to look it up. And Tim Clark's career earnings was, what was your pick? 25. So I said 20. If we're doing the closest without going over prices, right? I am technically right. But Mike, I'm going to give it to you. He is at $23.9 million. So you're off yeah. by $1.1 million. So I'm going to hand you the win on that one, which is pretty unbelievable considering I think he won players and maybe one other time. His Did he not win career. the Canadian Open at Royal Montreal? No, I don't think so. Maybe he did. I'm I not going to look it up right now. I'm pretty <laughs> I, sure he won the Canadian Open this at kind Royal of thing. Montreal. Um, I always remember, uh, what's his name? John Rollins won at Angus Glen one time. And I just thought, no offense to John Rollins, but like, dumpy golf course, kind of known in golf. I'm like, this is the stuff that like the Canadian Open gets like sucked into. It just kind of sucks at the time. And we are obviously Canadian golfers, so... Um, you know, we have a little soft spot for the Canadian Open. And I know like Tigers won in the past. Someone that I always liked actually seeing win was uh was Jonathan Vegas. Yeah. And I, I know Glen Abbey was a place where he just was an ATM at, at Glen Abbey for a long time. He just cashed those checks all the time. Um, and it was because I I caddied in his pro am group, and him and his caddy were like the nicest dudes ever. So um, but this leads to Speaking of PJ Tour, speaking of rainy finishes and all of that stuff, we had the Northern Trust this week. It was completely rained out on Sunday. Play was delayed. There were puddles on the golf course everywhere. They played live clean in place, but they did get it done. And Tony Finau potentially, I would say, has officially broken the Puerto Rican curse. I know other players, Hovland was with someone else who technically broke it in the past. Yeah, But we'll say Tony broke his own uh, curse of the Puerto Rican Open. And won his second time on tour, which I think, shout out to Justin Ray, the big stats guy on Twitter, was his 40th top 10 since his last win. Put Jeez. that into perspective, Mike. 40 top That's 10s, insane. first win. I think he's won. Okay, so funny. Tim Clark's career earnings, $23 million. And I saw a post uh, tonight, and it was, since his last win, he's made $22 million. <laughs> since uh, the last win. just Since his just, last win. Oh my goodness. That's insane. I think JT and DJ combined had 28 wins or something like that. <laughs> over Nuts. The, over just like Tony's, you know, 40 top tens. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, he was due for a win and I was thinking about it before we did the pod. The playoffs are almost like mini majors because it really has the best, the best on, on tour in these events. So it's a, it's a grind. Obviously it's a funky, you know, non-Sunday finish due to a hurricane and 
maybe Monday finishes, a lot of guys just want to get the hell home and maybe don't care as much. Um, so a win for a win for Finau in, in a playoffs open, uh, you know, playoff is it's uh it's proper golf, like no disrespect to other PGA tour events, but playoffs are always, uh, are always stacked fields. It, 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 look, let's, let's not, uh, let's not, you know, poop on the other events, but yes, <laughs> let's be very clear here. Uh, Carlos Franco was not an alternate into the field this week. Yeah. Um, although he has, for some reason, you know, due to like some weird status rules, was able to get into other events this year, which doesn't make any sense at all. But nonetheless, I digress. Uh, that is a rabbit hole. I do not want to go down at this point in time. But Tony Finau won. He was he was in a playoff against uh, Cameron Smith, which his mullet looked just glorious in the New York setting sun. The skyline of that blonde, moppy, curly mess of his was glorious. Um, but he did which is actually crazy similar to the fact that Louis Oosthuizen did it uh, in New Orleans where he just in the playoff against uh, Smith and Leishman blew one way right on a hole with trouble down the right, kind of handed it in a way to Finau, who I think had a three putt for the win. I think he only two putted anyways for par, but it it is like, you know, it comes down to that pressure thing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to pull the A zinger. It's all about that pressure. Pressure, Mike, because um, if you if you want to play the pressure drinking game with Azinger, you know, doing the doing his coverage, you'll be you're not going to survive. <laughs> At least you're literally pickled. Mm. But uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Like total full congratulations to Tony because he played really well down the stretch. I remember I again, I don't think you said you didn't get a chance to check it out. Didn't uh, to be honest with you, I couldn't find the coverage this afternoon. I was uh, I was trying to find it earlier on and couldn't find it. So it's, uh, I blame NBC. See, it was on CBS. Now, see, that's the thing I was looking for it earlier on golf channel. Uh, I, and I got home CBS. and then, and then the final part of it was actually on CBS. So, um, yeah. And then, yeah, just overall, I mean, his putting was really, has been, has been better, like noticeably improved for Tony. I think he's almost locked up his Ryder cup spot. Um, I don't think that's a huge like stretch considering he's one of the longest players on tour and excels in that, you know, I think on a longer golf course, like whistling straights, he's probably got himself a pretty good chance. Um, and then because this is a, you know, we are the podcast presented by TXG tour experience golf located in Toronto. Missug. Just got to shout it out there. Uh, he did have, and pink just teased this on their social media earlier this week. So by the time the listeners out there hear this, I'm pretty sure the news will have spread by this point. We actually don't have all the technical details at the moment. We have some uh, just from like being able to, uh, what's the word, just kind of extrapolate from what's there. But the I-59 iron, which is a new iron from Ping, and the Glide Tour wedges, uh, a couple of them, I think he also had a Vokey wedge in the bag as well, um, were in the bag for his win, which I think is pretty interesting because he's had these new clubs for a while. And he put them in play. What do you what do you think from just the visual that you've seen so far of the I-59? New I-59 looks good. I mean, I thought I-210 was a great looking iron. Um I think I think that that type of style of ping putter or sorry, ping iron looks great. Um hopefully it performs. Um, you know, hopefully it's got a bit more, you know, ball speed out of the thing. Um and uh yeah, I'm excited to see it. I actually just got a text. 30 seconds ago from my ping rep that I will see the irons and wedges tomorrow at three 30. So, um, 
be nice to see it, hit it, look at it, get in the demo matrix right away because we haven't sold a ping iron in a very, very long time because they're out of stock. And you know what? And it is one of those things where I think a lot of companies have talked about it. I've, I mean, I've had discussions with people right now and we, we're going to get to the question and answer part of the show in a little bit. But one of the questions I've been getting a lot of is, should I buy now knowing I'm not going to get my clubs until November? And I always tell golfers, like the biggest thing is, you know, when it comes to, and I'm, I'm this way when it comes to like a computer or a cell phone or a car or like anything like that. I know I use the car analogy a lot when it comes to, to golf equipment, but if you know you can get it now, especially if it's properly fit, it's not defunct by the time you get it. Correct. Right? Like it's not, it's just not. And we've, we've proven it time and time again. You can check out all the videos on the TXG YouTube channel is that there is a progression with golf equipment, but just because it's new doesn't mean it's immediately better, right? We've seen players stick with older G400 drivers into this year, which is now a couple of years old. We've seen uh, Colin Morikawa win, you know, two majors in the last couple of years with the original SIM driver. Still a number of players are still using that. It just comes down to what fits you as an individual. And if you do get custom fit, to see an advantage in something new, it may or may not be so minuscule that it's a not even worth it. And B it's not even actually tangible, right? It's something that's like an intangible thing of like, you know, it might look slightly different or something like that. And I think that's one of those, those elements of golf club evolution that people worry too much. Do you think do you get that? I know you we're going to get, again, we're going to get to the questions part of this a lot uh, a little later, but do you find that that's like a big, worry that's a big fear i know being in the industry i don't fear about it at all like i have clubs i can go out and play with anyways and i don't have a huge issue with them but i think for the general consumer that's such a fear because of what's built into the idea of like new clubs where in reality if you get fit you don't really have to worry about that uh yeah i mean i think there's there's two ways to look at it. a lot of customers right now are understanding that there is still turnaround time issues not necessarily from our front. I mean, if stuff's in stock, we can build it within 24 hours and you can have your stuff really quickly. But, you know, supply chain and stuff is very, very slow. It's even slower now um, with Asia kind of being in parts of lockdown again. Um, so I think a lot of customers look at it and go, listen, at least I've, I'm fit for the product. I'm playing golf right now. But then you get guys and uh, guys and girls, and I've had a lot of these customers in myself or other fitters have the last couple of weeks where they're coming in with complete crap. So you fit them for something. Let's, let's put irons, let's put driver in perspective. Guy comes in with his dad's R7 driver because he took up golf last year during COVID. Gets a new driver, TSI2, Ventus Red, 6S, 31 yards longer. Dispersion is the size of a hula hoop. And you're like, okay, well, this might take four weeks to get to you. So that's middle of September. Personally, like I wouldn't play golf until that driver's in because his <laughs> other driver was so garbage for him. But I think, you know, a lot of people just have to, it's unfortunate the way turnaround times are right now. Obviously it's our goal always in the future to, to make those turnaround times faster. Um, but it's, it's one of those where you got to, you know, pick your battles. And if at least you've got fit for something, you know, what's to come, you can kind of suffer for the next couple of weeks until, until that new products arrived. 
I would, I would say that it, it would be a great opportunity for golfers to play against your buddies and, uh, you know, make sure they give you lots of shots. And then this, the first chance you get to, uh, get some shots from your buddies and you have your new driver in the bag, take all of the shots and then take all of their money. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Uh, now that, now that I'm encouraging you to like, you know, completely swindle your friends there, but uh, I'm just saying, right. It's a, it's a way to recuperate some of that cost of a new golf club potentially. Yeah. Um, but it does. I mean, it, it, there is an element of, especially when it comes to, to newer golfers or people that are new to purchasing new equipment, because I know for like, again, I'm going to go, I'm going to just divert back to a car analogy for the longest period of time. I never bought a car. Like literally I got like a hand-me-down car and then I went car shopping with my, my parents again. And we kind of like figured something out just because, you know, we were looking at a whole bunch of different elements of like trying to get a car that was, you know, offered good value and gas mileage and all those different things. Uh, I wouldn't say that stylish or horsepower was a main concern at the time, <laughs> but it's, there's the element, okay, like now I'm in the, I'm in the position to like purchase my own car. I'm not getting something from someone else and I'm looking for different things. Right. And, you know, I can go out and I can think about buying a used car and get exactly what I want right away, but it might not be everything that I actually want. So you're finally and getting your Ferrari. Exactly. Right. That's it. I'm not, okay. I, I didn't want to break the news here today, but I'm, I'm finally getting the, the mid engine sports car that I've always wanted because I've heard the safety rating is fantastic. You can fit a couple of car seats in them, both forward and rear facing, which I think is great when you have a couple kids uh, and a wife that also wants to travel and get groceries. So as far as practicality is concerned, uh, I know that I talked to the dealership, they're going to get the roof racks installed. So we're going to get one of those little dome things. So if you go to the cottage, it's easier. We're going to get it lifted up a little bit. So on those gravel roads, when we're traveling up north, it's very easy. And uh, I'm going to get the whole transmission wheeled out. So it's uh, it's four wheel drive as well. So in the winter time, you know, you know, nor- uh, Ontario winters with wet snow. I just want to make sure that thing's completely tuned up. Of course, it's a Ferrari. Mike, why wouldn't it be? Love it. <laughs> but uh, it is. It's one of those things where I just I I I don't I don't ever and I, and I and this is I know when you've talked about it in the past. If someone comes in with a golf club that works really well for them, the first thing we're going to tell them is the fact that it's great and we're not going to change it. But it also comes down to the idea that I, I don't want to tell people that just because it's new, it's better. That is the job of the OEMs, like full stop, right? Yeah. I do not work for an OEM. That is not my goal is to tell you that this is the latest and greatest. Our goal is always to show you what your option is and to show you the difference. And I'm very curious with like, there's the glide tour wedges. I think they're super small in their footprint from what I've seen in pictures online of in-hand pictures and the profiles because things always made really good wedges. It's just a matter of like, how does it connect to the mainstream, right? They've, they've had a bunch of different things. One of my favorites, I still have it is like the original, I think it's actually, no, I have a glide 2.0 ES grind, mm. which is the ISOL. Nice. I think it's a freaking miracle work out of bunker. Yeah. Like it's amazing. I love the sole of that wedge. Um, you ever used an I2, have you, have you used the ES or the I2 wedge? Never. You know what? Someone, uh, I regripped one, weeks ago, maybe months ago now. And, uh, I was like, I'm, I'm going to try to find one of these somewhere, like the, one of the original ones just to have, just to play around with. Cause I was, I think those irons were a little before my time. So I never got to be part of that, you know, big bulky ping 
iSeries stuff uh, cult that was out there. So I'd like to uh, I'd like to play around with one. That was my my very first set was a set of Ping i two plus no pluses, which were the which were the plus models. So they had the different like the 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 really coveted soul grind on the pitching mm. wedge and the sand wedge. Um, my set never came with a sand wedge, but it was it was one of those things where once I actually got a chance to hit one, I was like, man, I understand like. I've explained it. You can check it out on social media. I think I've done a video on it in the past, like why that soul grind is so good. I'll probably do another one on it again because I think it's it's very interesting why we continue to see it with like the tailor-made ATV with the high toe. You see it with the uh, the Callaway, the PM grind. There's a reason why good uh, soul design is still popular. It's like the MT grind from Artisan which I think is very similar to like a dual sole on a Nike engage, which I have, I call yeah. it, I call it the, the, um, the entry level <laughs> artisan wedges. So there is something, cause you, I know we talked about this before, like there is something about the sole of a wedge when you have the right one feels effortless when you're hitting the shots that you're trying to hit. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Now, is it something for you? Is it, is it the, is it the shape for you? Is it, is it the, now, is it a, is it a feel thing through the ground or is it the shots that you can hit? Like, what is it for you if you're going to like put that into the words? Uh, I mean, versatility for me, you know, I've, I, I know how to use a 60 reasonably well. Um, you know, I'm comfortable with hitting any type of shot. So being able to have something that, you know, cuts through really tight turf and, and as well as, you know, really lush, thick, you know, rough that we have at the club or, you know, pretty packed sand. I mean, I just something that's got total versatility for me is what's going to make it in the bag. And, um, you know, last week tried a, a new, another new 60 degree wedge and, um, been toying around with, with a little bit more bounce in the 60. Um, the biggest thing for me is like little pitches around the green and stuff like that. We've got our greens kind of sit up and then have a bunch of surrounds around them. So having to be able to get something that's a little bit, you know, that crisper, you know, clipping sound is, is to me all bounce going through turf. So, um, I got to have full versatility. If I'm going to go more bounce generally means a little bit wider sole. So I need to have something that I can open close. And, and again, the word versatility is the first thing that comes to mind. What's, what's the newest one that you just tested? Uh, so last week, uh, I spoke with Aaron. He got me to try 6010 S, which I had in the house. Um, felt okay. Um, and now I'm going 6012 D just to try that for the for the next couple of days. Cool. Yeah. The one thing uh, which I know will be a video at some point this week on the TXG channel, and I know we've seen them because we've already had them in the shop. I'm pretty sure you've gotten your hands on them. I saw them for the first time today. Was the new? I want to get this right. It's the full face Callaway Johns. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's full face. It's the one that's got the grooves to the toe. People, I'm not. I'm not going to claim that I'm an expert when it comes to names all the time. There's a lot of names to remember when it comes to this. I do not have it in front of me, but it's the full groove jaws wedge, the newest yeah. one. Yeah. It looks and great. looks great. Sits nice. Feels nice. I, I honestly like, it's one of those things where I've, I've had friends that have gotten the PM and it's weird. Cause I like the eye soul grind, but I hear something about the PM that just doesn't suit my eyes. Almost like it's too angular. And then there's a lot of offsets. So like there's a lot of curvature on the front leading edge, which is still a good thing. Like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all, but there's just something that that wedge doesn't fit my eye. I yeah. don't know what it is. I wish I could, ex I wish I could literally like explain it, like verbalize it. I just have a very difficult time. I just put it down. I don't really enjoy it that much, 
But then I saw the new one today. Soul grind looked really good. Easy to hit kind of different shots. There wasn't a lot of offset, which is something that I like. It was a little straighter in the 56 and the 60, which is what we tested. And I think that's going to be a big winner yeah. um, for Callaway. I think, I think weirdly though, that wedge, uh, and I think it might be in my, in my head that it actually is a fraction shorter than our standard length. And to me, when I put it down, it looks funky. And then if I play around with the line goal a little bit, it actually sits a bit better and looks really nice. I, I mean, I was chatting to, uh, to our friend, Johnny wonder, just saying, Hey, this wedge looks great. It's, you know, feels good. I, 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 you know, I put some stickers on it to get some numbers and it was spinning like crazy. I was able to hit some, some pretty, you know, some flop shots that you probably wouldn't hit outside that I can, you know, hit in the bay just to get some, some unrealistic numbers. And it was, it was performing. You try to even hit the tie spinner and um, it worked out well. So, you know, that tells me that, you know, you, it's easy to utilize the bounce off that wedge and watch the ball run up the face and, and use the full face, which is, which is cool. I love when you, when you have one of the, especially when you're inside, again, this is more of an inside thing and you can do it outside as well. You set it up with like a good lie. And when you're on a mat, everything's a good lie. And you just open the face and hit like the open face slightly. Sounds weird, but it's like the, you feel like you're de-lofting it, but it's open and you get this spinner when it's like, you get the 9,500, you get the 10 K spinner on like this, just like, I don't know, 50 or 60 yard pitch shot. Like, man, I love to be able to have that confidence outside where I know that I'm going to be able to hit it, but it's very difficult to actually try and execute that. But it's fun to see the numbers. And I know like we, we saw some pretty crazy stuff uh, today and, and some filming and testing that we did. So again, you'll be able to see that on the TXG channel uh, later this week. And before we get to some other stuff, which is the Q&A part of the show, I do want to shout out something that is a little unique because normally we don't cover this stuff. We, we cover, we like to talk about women's golf for sure. Talk about the PGA Tour. We talk about a little bit of the European Tour a lot of times, whatever's going on. But something very cool happened this week on the McKenzie Tour. Now, the McKenzie Tour is the PGA Tour Canada, and it is separated this year into two separate tours. The Forum Tour, which is taking place in the States because of uh, restrictions and border travel. And then there's the just the actual McKenzie Tour, which is taking place in Canada. This week, just north of Toronto at the Osprey Valley Open, which, by the way, is a golf facility. This is a full plug. I wish they were paying me for this one, or at least I get some rounds of golf out of this is a golf facility located just north of Toronto. It is a 54-hole facility known as TPC Toronto. The original name before it became TPC was Osprey Valley. has three golf courses. They're all spectacular, so fantastic. A lot of fun. I played some golf out there in the past. And Canadian Amateur, who is also part of the Canadian Amateur team, I don't know exactly what that's called, like the RBC Amateurs or something like that, uh, Team Canada, Golf Team Canada, whatever it is. Noah Steele won the McKenzie won on the McKenzie Tour, and he won by I think it was I think he won by five shots. Now an amateur came second as well, which is pretty crazy. I do not have the name in front of me. I apologize, but he beat the next closest professional, I believe, by seven shots. It's crazy. That, my friends, is skill. And I know yeah. a friend of ours, Scott McLeod, is someone who works with Noah. He has oftentimes like tweeted his trackman numbers and he has sent me pictures of like his driving iron. I'm like, is that his driver? And it's like, nope, but that's my driver numbers. Holy crap. This kid smokes it. 
And yeah. uh, just, I think overall, I wanted to shout it out because I think it's a very impressive win for any time an amateur wins in the professional ranks. And I thought, I just thought it was such a cool story. Yeah. I mean, when, uh, when he went to, when Noah went to Sam Houston state, I think that's the name of it in Texas. I know he came into the shop a couple of times to work with Ian and we've built him some, you know, some drivers and stuff. He's, he plays a lot of Acker product cause he's a, he's a Kingston boy and, and Scotty's close with those guys. So, um, you know, he's in great product. He's in great hands with a, with a wicked coach, but if people want to see an unbelievable swing, go to TPC Toronto or PGA of Canada's Instagram, and you can watch like some shot tracer of Noah hitting driver. I mean, he hits it so straight. It is unbelievable how straight he hits it and he hits it hard and he's a hard worker. He's, you know, strong into the gym and, and just a, a pretty impressive player. So excited to see where, where this, you know, leads him into the direction of hopefully, you know, I would imagine he's going to obviously turn professional. Um, but I don't know, does this give him a spot in the Canadian open? If it doesn't, I'm pretty sure that it probably does it some way. Yeah. Yeah. And, I'm if, sure. and if, if golf Canada is paying attention, I'm sure at some point there, there's an exemption for him as a, as a Canadian in some way. Yeah. I mean, he's super talented and I, you know, TBC Toronto is, is not a, it's not an easy course, not a pitch and putt. That's for sure. But it was in great shape. And, um, he played four amazing rounds all in the sixties. So, um, you know, kudos to Noah and we're excited to see where he ends up. Yeah. I just, I mean, again, I was, I was following because you get, you don't really get a lot of this stuff on, on the TV coverage, but it was something that I was, I was watching the whole time. And, uh, so, uh, so, so a teen, uh, Papineau was the amateur that came second. I wanted to make sure that I, I gave proper credit to that. And then uh, Jesse Smith was the person who came third. So who was a professional. So uh, I'm sure Jesse didn't, didn't mind coming third to two amateurs because he got the first place check, which is always nice uh, since that kind of downgrades down the leaderboard. But uh, yeah, I think this, it's one of those things where it's not because we don't see it so often. Um, we've seen it in the past with, um, in women's golf a little bit more. Uh, I know there was the low, the low am was in contention at the AIG this week. And then also I can still remember back. And this is like, again, I think this is a Justin Ray thing from, from, from Twitter. Who's always a great stats follow all kinds of, she throws all kinds of number stuff out there, which is always really fun. But Lydia Ko is still younger than Will Zalatoris. And everyone's talking about young rookie Will Zalatoris makes it to the PJ tour. Lydia Ko is still younger than him. And I can remember when she won the Canadian Open, as I believe she won it as an amateur. And no, wasn't she? How old was she? She was like 16. Like it's insane. Like it's just absolutely freaking insane to think, first of all, how long she's been playing golf for in like the elite level. And then thinking back, I think she won it back to back as well. I don't believe yeah. she won. I don't believe she was an amateur the second time. She might have been. So uh, don't quote me on that, man. I've, I've definitely been throwing stats out there, which may or may not be correct tonight, which is fine. They um, sound good. They sound great. You know, you know, what you do, you don't apologize. You just say it. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, I am six foot six. See, no one, it could be true. I don't know. That's what, that's what my Tinder profile says. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so um, yes, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll talk, we'll take that offline, Mike. But um, you know, we talked, we've, we've covered, AIG, we talked about the PGA Tour. Uh, big end. Shout out to Noah Steele on the, on the McKenzie Tour. I think that's a very, very impressive win. But let's get to what a lot of people ask about all the time. 
And that is some listener Q&A. I did a Q&A, I think, last this past Thursday. I maxed out my my uh, my Instagram stories again. I think you can only get to the 100 before they start deleting them. Some people asked about pizza recipes. It's always fun. Um, but let's I know you you did one uh, just the other day. So let's get to the questions that you were you were asked. And then uh, we'll see. We'll both chime in and then you know, we'll leave it up to the people to always uh, get to that. But before actually, before we get to that, I want to say a couple of things. Thank you to all the new listeners. Remember, please like and subscribe and leave a comment on the YouTube channel wherever you have, or sorry, the the podcast channel wherever you happen to listen to us because it helps other people find us. And remember, you can head to the link in the bio of the TXG Instagram and Twitter page, hit the contest link in the link in the bio. And in there, because I know a lot of people have come to this podcast recently because of the contest we are running on our YouTube channel, to win a trip to Pinehurst. There's two separate individual winners that are going to be going and playing golf with Matt and Ian. It includes rounds at the cradle, as well as on Pinehurst number two, which is the famous one that holds and has hosted the U.S. Open, where Martin Keimer and also Michelle Wee has won a U.S. Open in the past, and a lot of other players as well. Those aren't the only ones. And so to that, we want to make sure we give a shout out to that. Check it out. And uh, follow along on all the social media platforms. There you can find all the information when you go to the YouTube page, to the actual contest page, to figure out other ways you can enter. So without further ado, let's get to the questions before we we call it a night, Mike. Cool. Uh, One question I got uh, yesterday was, and it's a good one, and I actually get it quite a lot in the DMs, is can we build and or repair golf clubs from anyone or anywhere. And the question, the, the response to that is yes. Um, I get this a lot. So hopefully a lot of those people who ask are listening to this podcast. Uh, we can, we can fix and, and build and, and do whatever you need done. If you want your own driver built to something, a certain swing weight, certain spec, don't hesitate to reach out orders at txg.ca. We can build whatever you need build. I think a lot of people almost feel like they have to buy something brand new from us. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. We can, we can do repairs. We can, as long as we can get you something that's going to work and make you play the best that you possibly can, we will do that all day long. Yeah, actually I, I had someone ask, um, recently earlier today and they were like, if I, if I had the specs for my driver and I already had the shaft and I have a new club head, but I want to put them together. Uh, that's something that at TXG, we could do that for you. Um, our, our custom shop is also, you know, the people that are there building golf clubs know how to also repair golf clubs. So that is something where you are looking to get that done by all means, we can take care of you, um, try and turn around as fast as possible. Anytime we we have anything in stock or components or whatever it happens to be, but it is definitely something that, uh, we can help you out with for sure. Okay. Next question. This is a good one. I've, and I'm going to send it over to you to see your response, but how do you know you have the right size of grip? Ooh, I, I spent uh, a good 25 minutes on a call. I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, talk to uh, the gentleman, Mr. Lampkin, <laughs> as well as talk to people from Golf Pride. And the one thing that I always bring back to any golfer is that it does, a grip can play somewhat of an influential role based on its feel. So, and it also depends on your style of grip. Now, if we're just talking full swing golf clubs, now this, now putter grips are very different because there's a lot of other elements that are involved when it comes to grip sizing, when it comes to a putter grip. I, myself, 
I think you agree. You prefer more of a smaller grip that kind of fits in your hands. I know you've always said you like the like the old ping kind of the tiger style grip, right? Yeah, yeah. Ping man putter grip, love it. Lampkin D fetch, love it. Yeah. So like when it comes to a putter grip, it depends on your stroke style and what you're trying to do. Maybe putter style for face um, rotation control. But as far as the the full swing golf clubs, the first thing you want to do is have it be comfortable. This is the this is the best advice that I could possibly offer any golfer is the fact that the grip is the only connection you have between you and your golf club. That's it. You're not holding it by the golf shaft. You're not holding it by the golf head or the club head. Sorry, it's like a, it's like a really good. You can have socks that are okay, but if you put on a, a crappy pair of socks and you go for a long walk, you're like, yeah, they're okay, but they're not great. And I've, I, I've never, I, I actually last year I found some socks, which I'm not going to just shout out here. Cause we're no free ads, by the way. Although I've, I've talked about Piners and other things and whatever, but the idea is like when you have a good pair of socks and you're walking six, seven, eight kilometers playing golf, I don't know, let's call it five miles, whatever we're, we're going to convert here. And you're doing that and you're playing golf. It is unbelievable to take your take your shoes off and put it on something else. You're like this is so comfortable. Yeah, right? you should feel just as comfortable putting on your favorite shirt as you are holding your golf clubs, because it's the all again. It's the only connection you have. So as far as sizing goes, if you prefer, if you're like a palm gripper, maybe you prefer a bigger grip, even if you don't have larger hands. If you are someone that is very much into the into your fingers a little bit more, you might prefer a smaller grip, even if you have larger hands. So all of those elements play into your grip size for one or like my kind of my, my thought tree when I'm picking grips is I want a, a texture first off. Cause if you are someone, I, I love rough grips. I love cord grips and, or like sometimes I like sticky leather grips, but generally speaking, I love a good cord grip. And then I'm going to go to size. And then from the size, I'm going to go to the taper. And then with the taper, I can maybe adjust with the, with tape and then anything that has to do with weight. This is not, this kind of leads into questions that I've gotten as well Is like, should I worry about two or three grams per grip or whatever? The answer to me personally is no, because if it's consistent throughout the set, it doesn't matter. But the whole idea of the controlling of those elements is going to put a grip in your hands that you're very comfortable. And Last but not least, the other tip that I would definitely highly suggest is do not, if you're very curious or you've never gripped, like you're trying a new grip for the first time, grip one golf club in your set. Try it out. Take it to the range. Take it to your, your practice area, whatever it happens to be. Try it out. Because if you don't like it, you only have to re-grip one club back. And you don't have to go back and bug your club builder and say, I don't like any of these grips. Because A, that's going to cost them their time and your money. So do them one step at a time and you're going to be much happier golfer when it comes to your grips. Yeah. Love it. I mean, a lot of my other questions yesterday were, you know, Hey, I'm a, I, I hit it off the toe. What do you recommend for an iron and driver? And just a heads up when you're asking questions, be a little bit more in depth because I'm going to give you one word answers. Cause I have no clue what the hell you're talking about, but um, you know, we appreciate the the questions and um, you know, I think for, for next week, I'd like to, I'm going to send out almost a topic for people to ask questions about next week. Um, and that way we can do a little bit more in-depth club building. There's, There's been a lot of fitting ones and we want to get into more uh, club building ones. So for me, that is all this week. Yeah. And I, I will definitely be doing something very similar. Uh, I, I very much always encourage people to ask. To, so for those who do ask, which is probably like two people that are listening to this, 
Um, there's a guy named uh, Vito Icapelli on YouTube. I do not have this fancy super duper dough recipe that is mine and mine alone. I am not some pizza guru. I just like to follow along the recipes on YouTube and enjoy an adult beverage and make some pizzas in my little homemade pizza, my, not my homemade pizza, but my little home pizza oven. So those are the people who are the pizza experts. Check that out. Uh, that is a, that is a complete plug for a YouTube channel. I have no involvement in whatsoever. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun. Was, he's, I think if you ever watch a golf video or anybody who's passionate, whatever their sub topic matter is on, I think YouTube, I know we do, I think we do a great job because we are very much golf nerds. Uh, but I love watching things like car videos and, and, and like the cooking videos. Cause it's people who are passionate about what they do. And I love listening to people that are like that. So if you're curious about yeah. the pizza recipe, that's where I highly suggest. Now you make a really good point because one of the questions I got, and we'll, we'll, we'll finish at this one. Cause I like it. Cause you're a wedge guy, Mike. And I know you've, you've had the, the opportunity to pick the minds of Aaron Dill and Mike Taylor and a lot of people that are very much into wedges. So I'm going to ask you this question because this one came to me and I thought it was very interesting. And that is, should you worry about your divots when it comes to a full swing shots, like toe deep or whatever, like, like, you know, if it's toe deep, heel deep, those kind of things. And as far as shots around the greens, is it a major concern to worry about the divots if you're hitting the shots you're trying to hit? Like if you're seeing your ball flight, should you really worry? Or is there something else going on? Yeah, I think, you know, understanding what your divot can tell you about your your wedge game, even your iron play. Um, you know, every time I hit a shot, if I magically take a divot, um, I will, I'll always look at the one direction of divot depth of divot. Um, and, and that can really show you, are you using certain things that, you know, effectively, if, you know, if you have the opportunity to go to range, take a wedge that has four degrees of bounce and take a wedge that has 14 degrees of bounce and hit them and, and look at the difference in, in, you know, in divots and in patterns. And that will tell you a lot of, what wedge is going to work best for you? Um, so, you know, grind and bounce and all that is going to be huge. But, you know, paying attention to your divots is is a great way to understand path as well as, you know, how the club is interfering with the turf. Yeah. And, and another element too, which I think um, you kind of touched on there, which I think is really important, is the depth of divot can play a huge role in, and I'm talking iron swing. I'm not talking you're you're hitting your wedges because I mean I'm not a huge divot taker. I'm relatively shallow, but there are times when I'll hit the the 55 to 60 yard, a little bit back in my stance, hit the sand wedge or like a lob wedge and just blast down on it. We take a lot of loft off and just try and add as much spin as possible. It basically flies the distance I want to fly and stops. In theory, obviously, yeah, uh, most of the time, and then I'll just take these massively thick divots and I'm using in a lot of times those shots, I I'm using uh, the Mizuno ES wedges, which are a wider sole wedge. And those things are not designed to really dig, but because of the dynamics I create, they dig. But if you were hitting your stock shot um, with your irons and the conditions are whatever you either, it's the your regular conditions or it's something maybe you don't plan. And you're finding that you tend to hit it lower on the face in firm conditions Either you need something with lower bounce to help with that because it is, or maybe because it could be bouncing into the ball or it's just, you know, it's just hitting slightly before, 
Or in the other case is if you're taking big and you're making good contact, but you're making big divots. And maybe if you happen to miss it behind the ball a little bit and you lose a ton of ball speed, cause you're adding, you're taking a lot of dirt there, then it might be time to add some bounce. And that's where I think uh, a soul like wider souls for certain players work really well. You see it with the DCB and the Callaway apex. Not only does it have a deep center gravity it has a thick soul, like thick boy soul. Thick, and thick so soul. if you are someone who is, steeper. Uh, I know I've talked to, to club builders in the past. I know he's, he's at one point played some ping irons. He was someone that played some, I know uh, I talked to the team of Mizuno at one point he was testing some of their irons and they literally ground up to the, like the first groove on the wedge of some of their irons. VJ did it where he played his irons a full club week to add bounce. Uh, one was, so one was VJ, but the other person I was actually talking about was Jesper Parnovic. If you ever watch Jesper Parnovic, you watch old videos of him hitting golf shots. Yes. He's just a little wiry Swedish dude. He took the biggest freaking pelts of dirt because he was so steep. And so like people were wondering, like, why would he play like a, a ping G iron? It's because it's, he was so steep. He needed that to get into the turf or else it was going to basically, he was going to take such deep divots that it wasn't going to work for him. And right. for any golfer, say again, you can check it out. Uh, I guess a couple of years ago now, uh, me, you're one of your, your ghosts here, wrote an article about Vijay Singh. That was available on PJ Tour and GolfDirects.com about why he played his irons so much weaker, why he had like a nine iron bent like a pitching wedge, and so on and so on, was because it was to add bounce, because he wanted to feel like the club was not getting into the turf as much, and he liked the design. So you can check that article out on another website. In the past, again, you can just Google VJ switches Pizzuto weak irons, whatever. It'll come up. My name as well. Uh, shameless plug, but it's just because of the sole design. And that's where it really makes a difference, not only in the short game, because you made a great point there, Mike. You have to pay attention to that because it's going to affect the feel and also the course conditions that you're playing. Because if you're trying to hit shots and you're 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 finding that you're really heavy, you've got to mess with that line goal. You got to work with that because they are it's they are swings at slower speeds, which is much more important when it comes to turf interaction. Yeah, hundred percent. So um, you know, we co- Mike, we covered a lot this week. It's a good good. We episode. covered it. We covered a ton of topics. We talked about Women's British Open. Uh, Tony Finau, congratulations. Not only that, but congratulations because I think it just less than a month ago now, uh, welcomed his his, uh, his mm. newest child to the Good world. Point. There's a, I don't know how many children are on the, the Finau crew. There's a number of them, but they're, they're, they seem like a lovely family. And uh, congratulations to them as well. And then also to Canadian amateur Noah Steele. To everybody, you can follow along RDS Brath on Twitter and Instagram. That's where uh, you can find me or do the question and answer. Mike, where are you at again? Simple, simple. Mike TXG. All right. And you can find that in the podcast description as well. If you're looking for the links, we have them there. So you can ask questions, reach out. We're always looking to help you out. And to everyone out there, Mike, always a pleasure to chat. Adios, adios. Thank you, RB. And thank you to everyone who listened along. Cheers. Cheers.